Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. On this episode of Big Boys Don't Cry, we discuss the 1983 film The Hunger. You don't have to have seen the film to enjoy the podcast, but if you do proceed and listen without having seen it, just be aware that we may discuss the plot. Enjoy. Hi. Ivan Tosak. Your blood. Your blood. I thought you were going to do a song about um, being hungry. I tried to think of one, but I couldn't think of one. Or I could just sing Bella Lugosi's Dead. <laughs> yeah. Bella Lugosi's Bread. <laughs> Bella Lugosi's Bread. Tiger bread, tiger bread. <laughs> He's made of bread, or referring to some bread that he owns. I think it's referring to bread that he owns. Right. He's got a good selection. He's been to the bakery. He has a bakery. He got there early before all the good stuff sold out. He spared no expense. Just walks home covered in baguettes. (laughs) Yeah, sticking out of every available pocket. Yeah. Yeah, because he's a vampire. (laughs) He's got a long like trench coat with a lot of pockets in it in which you can stuff rolls and baguettes. They're just, (laughs) they're really long pockets. So he's just got loads of baguettes all the way around his cloak. Yeah. And he gets home and all his his goth vampire children are like, yay, it's bread time. <laughs> exactly, yeah. This sounds like a sort of lovely cartoon version of scary things. You know, when, when we were kids, there were cartoon versions of scary things, weren't there? Like Scooby-Doo and whatever. Yeah, now, or Courage the Cowardly Dog was a perfect example of... I have, I have no recollection a, of that. A scary ish kids cartoon it's very strange i used to love it um there's amazing amazing cartoon i i like the name i see what they did there it's got a dog in it yeah so obviously i like it obviously it's good <laughs> exactly exactly any cartoon with a um, dog in it's good <laughs> yes yeah um so how are you I'm, I'm hungry you're hungry yeah hungry to talk about some films am i right Oh, that that's what we're here for. That is, yeah. we are film people. That's what we do. Yep. We've talked about the Hunger Games before. So I guess this week it's the Hunger. Next week it will just be the... The Games. <laughs> the we, games. Could, we could watch The Game, which is a movie. Have you seen The Game? No. Is that a movie about the famous pickup artist manual book, The Game? <laughs> No, and it's also not about losing the game, which you have just lost. Oh, God As have all of their listeners. <laughs> um, it's an early David Fincher movie starring Michael Douglas, um, where this guy basically takes part in this real, this weird real-life game where it's some kind of conspiracy and he can't tell what's real and what's not. It's quite interesting. Um, hmm. Sounds quite good. Yeah, it's 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 an underrated early David Fincher film, um, and that's good because you know I don't about. know about you, but I have trouble knowing what's real and what's not these days. Yeah, because of all the fake news everywhere. So right? so it's been some very strange days <laughs> of news. <laughs> so much so that I've been I've had so much going on at my day job that I haven't like 
been paying attention to anything and then rob had to text me an update of all of the bullshit that's been going on recently today (laughs) all of all of the magic stuff that's been happening in the world so of course first we had the fella jacking it on a zoom call who didn't realize he was jacking it i love that phrase it is a great phrase. Um, then we had Sky History hiring a guy covered in neo-Nazi tattoos to take part in the show about carpentry. Um, with Lee Mack. With Lee Mack. <laughs> <laughs> then doubling down and saying, no, the tattoos just refer to important dates in his life. Um, yeah, no, that's not what's going it just, on. Just, it just sounds like one of those Alan Partridge speaking into a tape recorder lines, doesn't it? It really does, doesn't it? It's, uh, Nazi carpenters with Lee Mack. With Lee Mack. <laughs> um, and then we had Crisp Rat, uh, as I'm now calling him. Crisp Brat. Crisp Pratt. Uh, crisp Rat. <laughs> or Crisp uh, Rat. Yeah. If I'm going to eat a rat, I want it to be crispy. I want it to be crispy, you know. You want yeah. you want your <laughs> peaking crispy rat, yeah, um, crispy buffalo rat. So Chris Pratt is sad because he came out last in a poll of who the best Chris is, or if he had to get rid of one Chris, who would you get rid of? And people were choosing him, which has led people like Robert Downey Jr. to come out and say he's the nicest guy I know, and I know he's part of a church which is incredibly homophobic. I know a lot of guys does conversion therapy and everything like that. But I swear he's a good fella. Yeah, I'm not sure that really flies. Um, it's, a very, it's very upsetting <laughs> that he's basically a milkshake duck at this point. He's right? the thing is that he's. I I not heard, to be confused with Hemsworth, who is a wooden duck, of course, I, as I, referred to on a previous episode. Well, I thought that was Liam Hemsworth, wasn't it? Oh, okay, the, yeah. So that doesn't apply universally to all Hemsworths. No, but it only re- refers to the lesser of the three Hemsworths, um, which is Liam. Which is Liam, right? Okay. Um, the other two get a pass. You have the, you you have. You could the, upgrade them to a swan. The, the 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 third Hemsworth, who I can never remember the name of, is a rubber duck. Um, oh yeah, and then Chris Hemsworth is the golden duck, so they're ah, all ducks, okay. but maybe ducks of different kinds. Yeah, um, yeah. But Huey, I, I, Huey and Louie. I heard that early on they were thinking about Glenn Howerton for his wow. character in um, Guardians of the Galaxy, and now whenever I think of him, I think could have had fucking Glenn Howerton in a Marvel. That movie, actually would have been awesome. Which would, and he would have been perfect for the role as well. So. With that in mind, fuck you, Chris Pratt. <laughs> you My dad would have lost his mind. I know, it would have been Because so he loves good. Guardians of the Galaxy and he loves It's Always Sunny um, and does a podcast about it called Jabronis Only. We'll put the link in the notes. You it's a should, great show. You should all listen but, to it because it's a really funny show. I really love Jabronis Only. Um, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I'm not sure how true it is, but I've heard whispers about that and I just keep thinking, oh, that would have been so good. He would have been I so still haven't even seen role. it. But now I feel like I should have watched it before because now that it's turned out that Chris Pratt's a dick, I, I, I'm not going to enjoy it as much. The thing is that he's never hidden that he's a dick. The fact that it's people are realising now is like, well, he's always been a member of this arsehole church, you know. It's, um, yeah, but I hadn't read about it. But it's fine. It's still an enjoyable movie. You separate the art from the artist, the fart from the fartist. Yeah, he's definitely a fartist. <laughs> um, and then finally, breaking news about our boy Rudy Giuliani. Breaking wind, I thought you were going to say that. Um, would you like to take our listeners through the wonderful news <laughs> about Rudy Giuliani? That's, uh, that's well, and during the filming of the new Borat film, which is out in a couple of days, 
um, which there's a trailer for. It looks it looks great, you know, and uh, exactly what you'd expect from a Borat film being shot during a pandemic. But um, a woman posing as Borat's daughter managed to honey trap Rudy Giuliani and get him to take off his have his hand in his pants on a bed in a hotel room or something quite nasty. And it's in the film. <laughs> yeah, it's horrific. I'm sure um, Sasha Baron Cohen will be hearing from Rudy Giuliani's lawyers. But the thing is, Rudy Giuliani is Trump's lawyer. So I don't even know how that works. It means that Trump is Rudy Giuliani's lawyer. Right, yeah. That's so surely that's Sasha Baron Cohen works. will be hearing from Trump. That, surely that's how it works. Um, yeah. And, and in slightly more somber news, the conservatives in this country have voted to keep starving children starving. Um, oh yeah yeah because if we did just a little bit more quantitative easing it would ruin the economy as if quantitative easing is the only way to bring money into the treasury I was like guys you know there's like fuck off corporations out there like Amazon and Google and whatever who aren't paying as much tax as they should be maybe we could ask them to give us some money for the starving children and apparently that makes me a communist did you did you also see? I mean, uh, can I just point out that all of this is just blood for the com- for the god of capitalism that runs this nation? Um, yeah, capitalism is a death cult. We all know this now. Get in the bin. Um, but did you also see that they brought up um, critical race theory is now the the demon of the right wing now? So thinking oh, thinking that white privilege is a thing is now illegal if you're a teacher <laughs> that's the new thing that's a new thing they're combating we'll let the kids starve but we'll ban anyone who's teaching white privilege as a fact in a school if you do that it's against yeah. the law that's that's the where the priorities of our government lies um i saw that angela rayner referred to some no mark gobshite backbench conservative mp as scum when he was giving some asshole speech today and i think you know what you fucking go for it I hope she yeah, doesn't. Absolutely. I, I hope she doesn't apologise. I hope she just says sorry. I should have said, "Right honourable scum," <laughs> from shit town Norfolk or wherever the fuck this guy's. In My America. right honourable friend, the MP for Scum Town. Whoop, whoop, whoop. <laughs> right honourable friend, <laughs> shit <flaps>. Yep. She, <laughs> the right honourable shit bag. <laughs> um, she, yeah, she should just double down. Yeah, because they are scum. They are fucking scum. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for getting one and all. At this point, if you are in that party, you are scum. If you are looking at the actions, the actions of this government, not just of late but historically, even the Conservative Party, what they have done in the past and the record. If you can be comfortable with them, you know, steering us towards a No Deal Brexit that's going to ruin everything, on top of the incompetent and craven response to the coronavirus pandemic if you still support that and are still in that party you are scum there is no way around that and if you and if you i don't if you're at all listening to this podcast i i don't know why but <laughs> fuck off don't listen to our show because it's not for you i i i would be very surprised if we had many conservative listeners <laughs> given the occasional rants we go on but your fucking i've said party, similar things before your fucking I? party any tories listening just voted to not feed starving children for no good reason other than oh we might need that money for some audacious garden bridge in the future yeah just fuck or, off fuck off with that shit this isn't giving or to pay however many stupid consultants for the test and trace scheme that's failing yeah. six grand a day or whatever you can't you can't get around the fact that a minuscule drop in the ocean in terms of our economy would stop kids from going starving over holiday periods where they don't have school meals 
Yeah. That's what it boils down to. Your your party just voted to not give starving kids food. Fuck you. Fuck the Conservative Party. Fuck Boris Johnson. Fuck capitalism. <laughs> From now yeah. on, we're a But the thing is that capitalism is why they vote, they vote against this stuff, because they see it as the thin end of the wedge. They see this as the thin end of the wedge towards a communist Britain, or, you know, or even like, a, not necessarily, a, a, you know, a authoritarian communist regime, but even a Britain where, you know, you don't have to wait weeks to get a GP appointment or that, you know, the homeless are housed or that kind of thing, you know, or, you know, it's free to send your kid to nursery or that kind of thing where people aren't struggling. They see that as the, the socialist boogeyman to be avoided. And, you know, feeding children now is the thin end of the wedge to them. Isn't yeah. It? If you start treating people with respect now, maybe they want equal treatment in other areas as well. And we can't have that. Yeah. That's generally the kind of shit that Tories say as well. Oh, yeah, it is. I mean, the, one of the fellas today was arguing um, about uh, not feeding starving children. Um, and let me just reiterate, they don't want to feed starving children. Yeah. That, again, they don't They, they want, literally voted on it. They voted not to feed starving children. That's what they voted on today. He was saying, oh, well, you know, this is going it's, it's, it's to disincentivize parents from looking after their kids it's like i'm sorry but fuck off um ben bradley a, a piece of shit mp one of the worst assholes in the conservative party he's the one who wanted to sterilize poor people um by oh that guy he's yeah. the one who said oh maybe we should um Classy. we should force sterilization on poor men um classy classy guy um, he was saying that that yeah oh if we feed them now then the parents aren't going to want to feed them because the state will. I'm so I'm sorry but if people are able to feed their kids, that's the that's the failure of the state. If yeah, anyone's in a position exactly. where they're not able to feed their children, exactly. It's like what kind of safety net is the state then providing in general that some, that people are in that situation? And you know, would it be so bad if the state fed people's children? No, it wouldn't. You fucking wankers. Yeah, it would be absolutely fine and wouldn't cost very much money. You think about all of the money that gets wasted on absolute bullshit by our political system. And that could go towards things like feeding people or giving yeah. people shelter, which doesn't cost very much money. Yeah, we're only, what, five to ten years removed from 50 grand being spent on some MP's duck house on expenses. Like, just fuck off, all of you. So basically, our entire system is just this uh, this giant bloodthirsty monster, which is slowly draining us all of life. And speaking of bloodthirsty monsters <laughs> draining people of life, I did think that this is where it was going. <laughs> this this speaking this of vampires. Film, speaking of vampires, <laughs> let's talk more about the Conservative Party, the biggest vampires out there. Um, no, we we watched a movie called The Hunger, and I think you hadn't seen this movie before. Is that right? I had not seen this movie before. I think I might have been dimly aware of it, but I had didn't really know much about it at all. Um, other than what you told me, that it had David Bowie in it. So I was yes. very excited about that. And he was fantastic. I, I really enjoyed his performance. Overall, I don't know if I could say that I enjoyed it as a whole, because I think it has some major flaws. But it's a very, very interesting film, and I'm glad that I watched it. And it's it certainly has a place in the vampire canon i would say it's a very unique film yeah and i think that's what makes it memorable isn't it is that it's very unique the way that it treats vampires is very unique 
Um, but it's one of those movies where I, I feel as though the first half is incredibly strong and then it peters out quite dramatically <laughs> after that point and kind of yeah. becomes a bit of a meandering mess. Um, and then rises to a big climax with all the mummified vampires coming out of their coffins and Catherine Deneuve screaming like she's on a fairground ride. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What more can you want from a zombie movie, a zombie movie, um, a vampire movie than that? Um, but yes, yeah, so David Bowie and Catherine Deneuve are vampires. Catherine Deneuve is the master vampire and David Bowie is one of the people that she's turned. Um, Catherine Deneuve has been around. It's revealed through flashbacks since the ancient Egyptian times. Um, David Bowie's been around since, I think, the 1700s. Is that right? Or the 1800s? Yeah, yeah. He was an 18th century cellist. Yes. Um, And he's starting to age, which is clearly what happens to people who are turned into vampires in the logic of this movie. Um, That's why they want to suck your blood. And it's actually, I find, I found that very disconcerting because obviously you think of vampires as these immortal beings, but really there's a, there's a tier system to the vampires in the, in the logic of the hunger. And um, the moment when you realize that Catherine Deneuve has had various lovers over time and all of them are these desiccated husks in boxes in her attic and she's going to just move on to the next one is a really chilling thought um that really these people although she she loves them as, as as her companions she just switches over to the next one without really a moment's thought after that um which yeah. i think is a really which was kind concept. of it's explored in some other vampire films isn't it i felt like that was explored a little bit in only lovers left alive which was a great vampire film the idea of if you're gonna live for hundreds and hundreds of years even you might fall in love with someone and love them for you know perhaps a regular human lifetime but then eventually they might die or whatever so you you then might need to collect someone else or they might start aging as is the case in this one which became quite an interesting meditation on aging and an interesting look at the the whole vampire idea it's not just they're evil and they want to suck suck their suck your blood it's something deeper than that yes and i think that is something that all of the best vampire movies do cover um in some way shape or form so like you said only lovers left alive is a good example of that um Byzantine is a movie that I'd like us to speak about maybe next year, um, which is a very interesting movie. I've not movie. heard of that. Um, it's, it's a very good modern vampire movie. It's got some romance in it. Shia Sharonan is a teenage vampire um, and, um, and weird things happen and some very interesting imagery. Um, but then also Interview with the Vampire um, also goes into that companionship element of it. And I think you can't get away with doing a vampire movie now without having some kind of interesting, unique take and some understanding of, of needing to show that society. And even sort of the schlockiest, most action heavy vampire movies like Blade, they know, yeah, we can't just have vampires running around and getting killed. We need to actually show how they operate because that's kind of what's the most interesting thing about vampire movies these days is how does their society work how does it work alongside human society and that's kind of where the friction lies in a lot of these films um is there a rivalry with wolf boys is there is there a rivalry with wolf boys um and i think the hunger it kind of predates a lot of these um but it does a good job of sort of having these kind of tentative steps into showcasing weird 
vampire culture and it's interesting that you mentioned only lovers left alive because i think the early scenes in this movie almost act as this template for what only lovers left alive would eventually do in a way yeah for sure i'd be surprised if if jim jarmusch didn't consider it an influence on his work but yeah i mean well it starts with a bauhaus concert in a sort of disco thing which looks quite futuristic and then they're showing all the rest of the film is all like classical music and old shit so which is very very disconcerting but yeah you've got Bauhaus actually playing their famous song Bella Lugosi's Dead while it cuts quite annoyingly actually because the music keeps cutting off while it cuts between them and David Bowie driving a car and you're like okay what is going on here yeah and I feel as though it would have been better if the music had stayed had maintained its place through that whole scene um yeah. but but I did like that tense beginning you know it's quite a dramatic and striking sort of opening really this movie which I which I appreciate it left a mark yeah I think it's kind of a, a WTF opening you're like what the hell is this film about what is going on here there's a, also a monkey in a cage it's very very yeah it's trying to tell you stuff it almost felt like an art installation and I think it sets the tone for a film that is almost too arty for its own good isn't it yeah yeah i think that's fair fair to say um and and yeah i think that that kind of navel gazing attitude really does bog the film down in its second half um so whilst the story beats are coming in the first half it kind of hits this decent balance of strange artistry with plot but then it does get off the rails quite quickly so yeah so you've got these two vampires who are in love one of them's aging and then you've got susan sarandon who is a super scientist who's working on some way to stop the aging process with monkeys a super monkey doctor super monkey doctor the best superhero um but her her um her experiments aren't going super well because the monkeys keep going mad and then deteriorating quickly um but um and attacking people and attacking people which was a little bit reminiscent of last week's film (laughs) (laughs) exactly exactly um but um but yeah so so david bowie is aging he goes off to see susan sarandon and says i'm aging i'm definitely not a vampire i'm a regular (laughs) human man but you need to help me but that but that never happens so by the time that susan sarandon realizes maybe i should talk to this strange definitely not a vampire man he's already old and stuck in a box yeah he's like 200 (laughs) years old yeah Um, even after she's watched him like age 200 years while he's sitting in the in the reception waiting room thumbing his way through the fishing magazines that they have in all all hospital waiting rooms yes exactly um offered a coffee does not want a coffee and goes yeah. home kills the poor girl that he's teaching the cello um and then gets put in a box yeah whilst wearing his very very scary but very good old man makeup yeah it's it's good actually isn't it it's um yeah for, for 19 which did remind me a little bit of um the the goth musician mortius not gonna oh mortis yeah yeah but it was still very, very good. And I think for the time, 1983, the effects and the makeup and stuff must have been exceptionally good because they hold up very well even now. Yeah, I think it looked, it, it, it still looks very impactful. And I think the movie does a good job of keeping things relatively simple 
um you know I, I don't know what the budget was for this but it was it was tony scott's uh feature debut um ah yes and the younger brother of ridley scott yeah of course who did some absolute beasts of, a, of movies he's yeah know, he's like a big action guy it was, it was, i was really intrigued actually when i saw that he directed this yeah, because it's, it's quite different from, from the other things that he did. And obviously, you know, he did a lot of great production work as well. Um, yeah. But, it, but in terms of the, the, the films he directed, um, you know, if you're looking at people with strong 80s and early 90s um, sort of histories, it's, it's pretty pretty good up there. You know, he's got, he's got Top Gun, he's got Beverly Hills Cop 2, he's got Days of Thunder... Um, the last Boy Scout, True Romance. Um, you know, th- those are some really top tier, sharp action movies, I suppose, um, that have really stood the test of time as well. Um, so, so yeah. So, and, it, and it's interesting that the sort of debut is is very different from what he was best known for in the years that that followed. Yeah, you'd, you'd never have thought. It's the same guy who produced Stoker. Well, actually, maybe you would. <laughs> yeah, uh, maybe maybe Stoker would fit quite well. Um, but yeah, you can you compare this to to the last movie he directed, Unstoppable, the movie about the train that couldn't slow down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's 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 very different. Isn't I've it? not heard of this. Oh my god! <laughs> it, it, it's it's really good fun. It's, it's actually a very Chris very... Pine's like really weirdly shiny face on the poster. It's 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 a it's a very good fun action movie about a fast train um, with Denzel Washington and Chris Pine. It's it's actually rather good. I would recommend that people watch it, um, even if it is about a train that can't slow down. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, but um, but yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see that that's where he sort of ended up. Um, when this is a very somber, strange artistic debut, and he also directed the music video for Danger Zone. Well, of course, <laughs> the you know, it's uh, yeah, the, the 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 greatest song in the world about which you used to cover dangerous zones. Oh, we did, yeah. That band you're in, yeah, Titans and Kings. It's good. Yeah. I remember seeing you play that once. It's good. Yeah. Good bassline. Good song to play as a bassist. It is a very good song to play as a bassist, and a really fun song to play in general. Danger Zone is a lot of fun. Um, maybe my favourite song I've ever covered. Actually, it's it's great. Um, and yeah, part of the iconic Top Gun soundtrack, which is one of the best soundtracks I think as well. Um, whereas this is a very interesting soundtrack in that you've got you've got that proto-goth sound um from Bauhaus um but then a lot of like you said a lot of the other music is very sort of um classical in its approach really yeah the Bauhaus thing is making a statement it's saying hey goths we heard you like this would you also like to enjoy our movie it's for you yes yeah exactly it's um it's it's hey the people who go to goth clubs look a bit like they might be vampires what if some of them are vampires yeah, and one of them's David Bowie, of course. Yeah, who was who was up to some interesting stuff in the eighties. This predates. Yeah, he really was predates Labyrinth. He was not the Goblin King at this point. Um, but um, I've never seen it. But we we should watch it at some point. It is awesome, excellent. Is puppets. it one of those things though where it's just going to seem like weird puppet nonsense if you didn't watch it when you were young? Maybe, but I think it's got a certain charm to it. That that. 
that stays the test of time. I'm I'm not someone who has particularly strong um nostalgia for things and I still enjoy watching it. Um you know, it's it's got that it's got that Jim Henson feel to it, which I think is important. Okay, um, well you you know I'm a big Muppet appreciator. Yeah, yeah. So it is it is Maybe good. I will enjoy. It's it. got some weird magical bullshit in it as well, which is great. Um, that's what i like <laughs> yeah weird magical bullshit it's got a dog it's got a very cute dog i was gonna say um, does it have dogs <laughs> it does it has a dog it's ridden by a puppet as well it's great um and um and yeah and terry jones um wrote the script as well so it's got that kind of monty python e humor here and there um which helps keep it light at times so yeah it's it's good it's it's sort of like if the Muppets did the Princess Bride, I suppose. Okay. Sort of the closest, that. closest thing to what Labyrinth is. Um, and David Bowie with strange eyebrows, massive hair, and a big willy down his trousers. <laughs> Why not? So, yeah, what more, what more could you want from a movie than that? Um, so, yeah, Labyrinth, at some point we should watch. Um but in this, it's more somber. He's not in it for as much as he should be either. I, it would have been nice to see no. Um, see Vampire Bowie cucked by a scientist. Because I felt like it was his story at first anyway. It was like, because it really focused on him aging and you got lots of scenes, comparatively lots of scenes in what is actually a relatively short film by today's standards where he's he's sitting there going, I'm aging, Miriam. My hair's falling out. Look at it, my hair's falling out. Of him just kind of like describing the aging process and you're like oh no i i feel for you david bowie i feel for you i hope you find someone's blood to suck yeah it's it's interesting isn't it because it is very heavily about him in the the early parts of the film um but then when it's shuttered it kind of it kind of drifts between susan sarandon's story as as this scientist as, as sarah roberts the scientist and then the, the the main vampire Miriam, um, and I think that's kind of where the problem lies, isn't it? Is that it kind of loses yeah. its focus as it sort of absolutely absent. You get two thirds of the way through the film, and you're like, oh, so David Bowie was only there basically to prov- to get Susan Sarandon and Catherine Deneuve together so they could fuck. Yeah, exactly, exactly, um, and. Les- lesbian which is fine yeah i don't object to that as as the premise of a film i think that's a good idea you know especially a vampire film as well but i was really compelled by bowie's narrative and i wanted more of it instead of him just like playing the cello a lot <laughs> he does a lot of playing the cello um and then yeah you know it, the, the the sexual element of vampirism is again one of these long-standing tropes of of, of the the monster um and you know you've got that that lesbian aspect between between sarah and miriam which is 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 fairly well done here um i think it's it's as tasteful as an 80s movie about vampires can be in its sex scenes i suppose um yeah but um but yeah it does feel as though you know it loses its it loses its narrative drive and i think that's the real problem yeah i think the pacing is very very strange and it doesn't really come together does it it really, really jumps from scene to scene. And it has kind of, there's a weird realism to Susan Sarandon's storyline that is really at odds with the the gothic, classical, you know, 
fabulousness of the vampires. And when it all comes together, it still feels weird that those two things are together. Do you know what I mean? It's like the scenes of Susan Sarandon with the monkey and all the doctor stuff, that all feels like a bit more like a sort of standard 80s film at the time. But the rest of it is so heavily stylized that when those two things collide, you're like, what? Yeah, and I, I think some movies have been able to tie together that. So going back to Blade, Blade's a good example of of showcasing a real world alongside the fantastic element of zombie of, of vampires. Um, but it, you do have to play it very carefully. I think this is a little bit on the clumsy side here. Yeah. Um, that does leave it being a bit a bit jarring, really. Yeah, and it's only clumsy because it's so obsessed with trying to be... The film is so obsessed with trying to be stylish and gothic. And that's not a bad thing, because it is beautiful to look at, and it's really captivating. But you just watch it being like, so what's so what's going on? Who's aging? What's happening with the monkey? Oh, they're going to fuck now. Okay. Oh, and now the zombies have risen. Zombie vampires yeah. have risen. Um, they come out of the coffins and they're going to crumble to dust. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and Catherine Deneuve, I think, is amazing. She's a brilliant actor. But her acting in that one scene where they were like um, going to push her off the balcony and she was like screaming was terrible. <laughs> yeah. And the scene goes on for way too long as well. Um, yeah. Where it's just a lot of her stumbling about going, no, no, no. Oh, God. They're coming to get me. Dear yeah, God. and it, it felt at odds with how sort of regal she was for the rest of the film as this sort of aloof queen. Yes, and then it leads through to a very strange ending where it appears as though she's been killed, but then there's like a second end. Yeah, but surprise, she's not dead. And instead she's in a box and Susan Sarandon's still alive and is now a vampire. Which makes no sense. Yes, and I was reading that apparently this is was put in by the studio because they wanted to leave it open for a potential sequel. So the the ending was meant to be that they're all dead. Um, but then they tacked on this bit at the end. Um, and you can tell, can't you? It feels incredibly tacked on, even though it's essentially just three minutes of Susan Sarandon looking out over a balcony over a London skyline that's clearly imposed. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's, um, it's, yeah, it's, it, it's very clumsily done, isn't it? It's based um, on a book as well. So I'm guessing that that scene was not in the book. Uh, I have no idea. So actually it's a trilogy of books. Um, ah, okay. So she, uh, so Whitley Stryber wrote the novel, The Hunger but then followed it up with um he followed up with the last vampire in 2001 and then Lilith's dream the a tale of the vampire life in 2003 but i have no idea what those are ah, um, okay and, and and what they're about um so um so yeah so it's interesting um that it's there's been these these much later these 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 uh, sequels to it um i'm intrigued to see see what the story is and whether it follows the same characters or what interesting um, it's not a, it's not a book that i've read i've not read the hunger no it, and also it says on the wikipedia page that they warner brothers was going to remake the film and he was going to write the screenplay but it looks like it never happened oh that's interesting 
Um, he also it, has a series of novels called The Wolfen. So, you know, he's written about wolf boys. He's written about vampires, which yes, is best. The only way to establish this is to get him on the show to talk about it, obviously. <laughs> exactly. Because um, Wolfen was also turned into a movie um, oh, right. in the okay. early 80s as well. It's a, it is about wolf boys. Um, I think I've seen it. I always get it mixed up with the wolf movie with Jack Nicholson in. And I think I've seen both, but I find them, I always get them, get them mixed up. Jack um, Nicholson wolf movie. It's just called Wolf. Is it just called Wolf? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, because Jack Nicholson played a wolf boy. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, so, uh, but I think, yeah, I think I've seen Wolfen as well. Wolfen, I think, has lots of wolf vision in it, if I remember correctly. Which ah, is okay. Something I'm a big fan of. Yeah, you can never have enough, have too much wolf vision. No, exactly. Panther vision, wolf vision, it's all good. Yeah, there's no vampire vision in this film, unfortunately, is there? No, no, that would be good. See, you don't get to see what, um, yeah, what it'd be like looking through David Bowie's eyes while he's aging through these architects' eyes. I'm sorry if that's a very niche David Bowie joke for you. I'm not sure <laughs> it might is be. Is that a reference to a Bowie song? It is. Um, it's a good Bowie song, actually. What's it called? Through These Architects' Eyes. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I only know it's, it's, it's hits. It is on the album Outside. It is a good song. Off a good album. Um <laughs> And his yes. big hit, um, Bull People, of course, as I sang on last yeah. week's episode. <laughs> Bull People, exactly. <laughs> um, and this film also has Dan Hedaya in it, your favourite guy. It, yeah, it's got my favourite dude in it. Um, and the main did man. You, did you spot the Willem Dafoe cameo? I did. He's like a street tough guy. He's a, he's a tough punk on the streets. Did he even have a line? He's, he said... Hey baby, you look like a nice woman. I'd like to take for a meal out or something like that. <laughs> yeah, because it's the other guy who's doing the talking. Oh, is it? So Willem yeah. Dafoe's just there. He's getting... leaning into the phone box, going, "How about it? How about it, baby? How about it?" <laughs> and Willem Dafoe's just yeah. standing there, just thinking to himself, "Willem Dafoe, yeah. Willem Dafoe, Willem Dafoe, Willem Dafoe." Willem Dafoe is actually a pokemon so he can only actually say his own name oh yeah, yeah. Um, and then they dub in all of his lines afterwards that's how it works <laughs> that's exactly how it works <laughs> um, uh but but yeah it's it's nice to see him in a little in a little cameo it's cool yeah i, I appreciated that but yeah i i do think overall there, there's there are some very shocking moments i think the scene where where bowie is aging dramatically in a waiting room is very horrible um they did that, that really really well it's a really really yeah. good effect i don't know how i don't even know how they did it but it looks amazing well i think it's just clever cuts and then a progression of the the makeup over time so each time that you look at a different part of him you know by the time you go back to his face you've seen it more and you see his hands a bit more after that um and it's just very carefully done it's 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 very well done um and and yeah, it's it's um, it's it's really impressive. So yeah, that's very impactful. I think the intro scene where they kill those two poor goths that they picked up, yeah, as well. Um, 
I like the fact that they don't have big pointy teeth and instead they have a little knife that they use to cut into people to drink their blood. The vampire um, knife. Yeah, a tiny little vampire knife in an ank yeah. is good. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, there were no fangs in this film. The vampire no, film it, without fangs. And in fact, they never use the word vampire, apparently. Not once in no, the script they do they don't. say the word vampire. So really, are we, are we imposing that narrative on it? Maybe they no, just like to drink blood. It's about vampires. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, or about Conservative Party MPs, as, as may yeah. be the case. Who knows? Um, but, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, and that, it, that scene sets the tone for the rest of it. But it, it does, although the pacing is odd, it does leave enough time between all of the horrible scenes to make it work well when something does happen, like when he kills the, uh, the young girl and drinks her blood. Yes, yeah, it's it's um, and it shows that kind of tension there, and that there's a there's a lot of build up to that to that moment, and you can see that there is actually this friction within him that he doesn't really want to do it, but he's kind of driven by the compulsion to do so. Um, that I think is very well done, and instead you you see this kind of, and that's one of the real things that sets apart the the two different tiers of vampire, where where it comes to Miriam there's never that animalistic drive. Everything she does is much more mm. calculated, which I think is very interesting the way that they set that up. Um, and, and, you know, it's playing around with these frameworks in a very interesting way. Yeah, it does. And that is almost is at odds with this, the gruesomeness of vampirism, isn't it? But in a way that really works. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's It, it adds an element of horror to the fact that actually it's, you know, because... With vampires, sometimes you get the idea, and it's particularly true in bad movies like Twilight, where it's, I can't control my bloodthirst. You've got to get away from me. But in reality, the best vampires... I can't be around you. I might suck your blood. I might suck your blood. Um, whereas in... Surprise appearance from Donald Trump. <laughs> <laughs> um, whereas in reality, the scariest vampires are always the ones who know exactly what they're doing all the time. You know, Dracula as the archetype is a terrifying villain because everything he does, he plans. Um, yeah. And and here, the 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 fact that that she does plan all of this stuff out is actually very effective. Um, and and it kind of shows the you know it gets to the root of what's scary is that you've got the the calculated predator of the vampire versus the uncontrollable animalistic rage of the werewolf, and those are kind of it cuts down to the core of what those um what those creatures mean and what they are and i think it's very interesting the way that it's one of those things that i think is interesting is how how movies play around with these traditional movie monsters um while still trying staying true to what makes them scary in the first place and i think the hunger does manage to do that oh yeah 100 percent. and the romance element actually i think is really well integrated into that because you do believe that they love each other. And there's that scene where they're like in the bath at the beginning after they've killed the, the teenage goths and they're like, forever and ever. And that seems like it could be just something out of Twilight, but you actually really believe it, don't you? Yes, yeah, exactly, you do. Um, and and it, it's, you're right, it's, it's done really well and it feels very natural the way that the, the sort of romances work. And again, the sort of hypnotic element of, of Miriam's eventual relationship with Sarah as well feels you know it does have this predatory element to it but it also does have this um this this drive to it that makes it compelling 
Um, yeah. And I, I even if it does feel a bit like Susan Sarandon just kind of jumps right in there. She's like, well, better go become a vampire. And I yeah, think, yeah, why not? Yeah, which to be fair, I mean, being a vampire would be great. Yeah, seems cool. Apart from the aging thing, that does worry me a little bit. But to be fair, you you get a you get three hundred years out of your normal lifespan. Yeah, that's that's pretty good, I guess. Yeah, it's more than we're going to get anyway, isn't it? Yeah, and you get to. I, th- I think we've discussed this on the podcast before, actually. But you could quite easily be a vampire and just kill any bad people. Exactly. Yeah, there are a lot of Tories out there. Although, does it work the same if you kill other vampires? Oh, are you there? Have you disappeared? I can't hear you. I cannot hear you anymore. You have muted yourself. I don't know if you can hear me. I can hear you now. Could you hear me that whole time? Okay, and we are back. The the vampires attacking my computer have now stopped, and it all seems to be working okay again. Good, good. It wasn't um, sucking your blood. However, I can't hear you. Oh. Hold on. I'm making some noise now. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. It seems as though my Google <laughs> decided to... Um, change what my output was for my call halfway through which is really handy um but yes i am here that's normal that's all very very normal a bit like how you know a vampire queen might change lovers every 300 years or so right exactly that's what max decided to do with your audio input devices halfway through a podcast session i always did think steve jobs was a bit of a vampire actually Steve Jobs, his main job was being a vampire. I'm sorry. I started something and I couldn't finish it there. <laughs> I just mean he, he had a bit of a, a Nosferatu look about him, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Do you think he's actually um, like in a coffin somewhere in, in Tim Cook's attic? Yeah, I like to no. think so. At one of it's the just, Apple uh, events, he's going to just stumble on stage and crumble into dust. Yeah, exactly. Um, there is a very good video game called Vampire, um, which came out a couple of years ago where you are... It is after the First World War during the Spanish flu uh, pandemic in London, yeah. and there's vampires everywhere, and you are a doctor who is also a vampire, and you've got to try and solve what's causing the plague and solve why there's so many bloody vampires everywhere. Um, it's a really interesting game, actually. I really enjoyed it by a company called Don't Nod. Um, hmm. And so, yeah, any video game fans out there who want to play something that's it's a little bit rough around the edges, but it's got an interesting story and some very interesting mechanics, um, there's this great... But one of the most interesting things is that there's all these different areas of London, and... Um, you've got to feed obviously and you can feed off 
the baddies that you find around the place you know there's, there's loads of vampire hunters around and if you eat them it's fine but if you really want to get all of your vampire powers up to a good level you have to feed on other people so you've kind of got to decide who within each area you want to eat and then whoever you decide to eat then has an impact on the overall health and the culture of the regions that you're in so it's very interesting you have the option of eating tories um probably i'm sure quite a lot of the people you eat are tories um good but it's uh it's yeah it's a fascinating game it's very good i highly recommend people go and play that if you are so inclined for video games um but have you got anything else you want to share about the hunger no, I, I think we've covered all of our bases, haven't we? It's it's a, a pretty film, interesting to look at, very unsettling, very aesthetically pleasing, perhaps to the detriment of plot and pace, but really, really great performances and a very, very interesting entry in the vampire canon that I think is well worth your time, especially in this month of Halloween. Yes, yeah, I'd, I'd second all of that. Um, it's not perfect. It's got some very awkward pacing i think which does slow it down a bit and the end is quite trash but in terms of atmosphere it's it's a very interesting movie and with some really great performances um so just a couple of bits of trivia um david bowie in order to make his voice suitably hoarse uh for when he was sort of old in the movie he stood on the george washington bridge every night and screamed all the punk rock songs he knew (laughs) (laughs) which is great that's such a david bowie story um people just driving past honking their horns okay is that david bowie he's singing rock the casbah really loud (laughs) this predates rock the casbah doesn't it i think this movie uh it's around the same time um but uh but yeah apart from that um he also learned to play the cello for his music scenes which i think is great oh, i was thinking it looks like looked like he was really playing it and i thought of course he is because it's david bowie huh. oh rock the casbah 1982 oh wow okay well he could be shouting rock the casbah then um yeah. and although it was set in new york it was uh almost all shot in london instead oh really yeah um which is Interesting. cool which is cool um, but yeah, so that's a little bit of trivia. So how are we going to, to rate this movie? Oh, let's see. How how many of your old, old va- discarded vampire lovers are in coffins in your attic? So I've got a solid 13. A baker's dozen of vampire lovers in my attic. A, a vampire's dozen. Vampire's yeah, dozen. I, would, I would agree with that, actually. I, th- I think that's fair. Oh, good stuff. Yeah, I think, you know, it does have its flaws, but if you're into vampire movies that are a little bit different and you've not seen it, it's worth giving it a watch. Yeah. Um, it's got, got a certain something about it. it. Yeah, it certainly does. Yeah. Um, so we now have our final movie of the Halloween month. Wow. It has been a month. It has. It really has. Um, and this is an interesting movie. Um, some of you might have heard of it. It stars Lily James. Oh, uh, Mamma Mia too. <laughs> it also stars Sam Riley. <laughs> it is an adaptation of a classic work of literature, but done in a way that might be a bit controversial. And you might be thinking, "Oh, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna talk about Rebecca. That's that's just out. That fits in well with with Halloween month." No, fuck you. 
We don't tell. We don't. We don't do what, what, what you expect us to do. We ain't talking about Rebecca. We're talking about Pride and Prejudice and zombies, motherfuckers. Of course, of course, we are. <laughs> so yeah. So we we, we will get on to, to learn that I haven't seen it. <laughs> no, that does not surprise me in the slightest. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, we will get on to Rebecca at some point because I saw yes. it at the cinema this week, and I have opinions that I must. You went share. to the cinema to see a film. Yeah. To see, a film, to see a film that's coming out on Netflix today. <laughs> we saw it a couple of days beforehand. Because we, we wanted to see it in the cinema because it supports yeah, a, local, yeah. a local business. Um, and How was it? Uh, Were they the spacing people out and stuff? Yeah, so actually we've been to the cinema three times in lockdown. What? Um, and actually we're going again this week. So we're going to the cinema three times in two weeks, which is interesting. Um, but, um, but yeah, they... I, I'm not sure what it's like in the big cinemas, but we go to a local one, this independent place, um, and it's all sort of done in a diagonal pattern. So there's no one sitting next to you, no one sitting in front of you, no one sitting behind you. Uh, you've got to wear your mask the entire time, which is fine if you're watching a movie that up to, that's up to about two hours in length. But we did go to see um, Tenet. Oh, yeah. Which is like three hours long. That was not enjoyable by the end. It's just really sore when you're, when, you're watching, when you're watching something that long with a mask on. It's a bit awkward. Um, yeah. Was it busy? Yes. Uh, no, no, it's never been busy when we've been in there. Obviously, even at its most um, even at its most busy, it still will feel quite spacious. But a lot of people are staying away from cinemas at the moment. Um, which is understandable. Yeah, um, but yeah. So, so we also went to see. Uh, I was just Miller. looking at my local one. It does appear to be open, so maybe I will go. Ah, well, yes. They're showing um, Trolls World Tour on Saturday. <laughs> oh, that sounds perfect. <laughs> Sorry, um, I interrupted you. You were going to say something. Um, yeah, so I went to go see Carmilla, which was very interesting. Which I think will be suitable for a future Halloween month. Cool, um, and cool. then we're going to see an actual horror movie this Friday called Saint Maud. They are showing this at the Light Cinema, Adelstone, which is my local. I was just looking at it, looking at it now. Ah, oh, very good, very good. Um, so yeah, I've, I, it's been nice to go back to the cinema. It's been nice to support a local independent business. But I think if you're just going to go and see it at some random, well, you wouldn't see it at Cineworld because they've all closed. Um, I think do think about your safety. I don't think you should go unless you feel yes. comfortable to it. This isn't me guilting people into going to the cinema. It's just something that I've really missed. Um, and it's been nice to see things on the big screen again. But if you're not comfortable, do not do it. It's, you're, you're not missing out on much. Particularly if you go and see certain movies like Trolls World Tour, I imagine you probably <laughs> don't need to see in the cinema. <laughs> yeah. Not going to lie. I think they're really pushing the kids thing. I guess they're showing a lot of kids movies. <laughs> hey, you've already got COVID in school. Why don't you come <laughs> to the cinema and share it around with other kids? <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Because they're also showing Cats and Dogs 3, Pause Unite. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm going to send you the screenshot of this. <laughs> Actually, hang on, I, I can just share my screen. Hold up. There you go. Seeing that poster? Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Why do their eyes look so weird? Look at look at that fake-ass like, long arm and paw <laughs> on that dog. It's a Cthulhu dog with extremely long legs. <laughs> I'm going to take a screenshot. That looks scarier than St. Maud, to be fair. Yeah, that had a woman like levitating in Converse shoes on the poster. Totally normal. <laughs> Absolutely fine. 
Um, but yes, we will be watching Pride and Prejudice and Zombies next instead. Which... I'm very excited. And that, is, I think, is also based on a book, not the original work of literature. That's but right. Someone yeah, did a book of it. It's, um, yeah, they did, they did a book of, uh, of um, Pride and Prejudice, but with zombies. And then off the back of that, they then made the movie adaptation. Um, and I'm very intrigued to hear your thoughts, both as an adaptation of a zombie movie, but also an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. I'm guessing you've seen it before many times. I have not seen it many times. I think I've just seen it once or maybe twice. Okay, um, cool. But yeah, so it's going to be a, 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 a good revisit for me as well. Cool. Well, that's exciting. And a good way to round off the, the month with something goofy. Yes, exactly. Because there was not much goof factor in um, The Hunger, unfortunately. No, it's very... Very uh, straight, isn't it? Yeah. So, cool. Well, that was good. And Halloween month is going well. So thanks a lot for coming along with us on the ride. Um, Much appreciated. Hope you're all enjoying it. And I hope you're all having a suitably spooky October. (gasps) Yep. Uh, yeah, you can find us on Twitter at Big Boys Don't Pod. You can email us Big Boys Don't Cry Podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, what else? Love to hear from you. We're now apparently some of you mad people like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, which I don't know why, but apparently it's true. So we now have an integration with that, so the new episodes will go up there every week. Um, and I'm working on getting the back catalogue up there. So yeah, wherever you want to you want to listen to it. If you want to listen to it on YouTube with a nice sound wave flashing when we talk then we got you covered. Hell yeah. Get on that YouTube. That's where yeah. all the cool kids are. <laughs> so thanks to um, the good people at Acast for sorting that out. Yeah, we love you, Acast. Yeah. You're the best. Alrighty. And we'll be back next week to talk about Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. That's one film, not three. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.